0: Thank you, Brother Dale. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. If we could ever really grasp that and hold on to it, what a difference it would uh, actually make in our everyday life. Because that's really the bottom line. We so often try to do things for the Lord. He doesn't need anything. We need Him to do stuff in us and through us. And if we would just be yielded to Him... And uh, sometimes that's the hardest part. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it the way I want to do it, when I want to do it. I want everything to come my way. I don't want any adversity. I don't want any battles. I don't want anything to go like that. And yet the Lord says that we have to be a living sacrifice. That's not pleasant, if you've noticed. And uh, in David's confession of his sin in Psalm 51, he uh, actually says, A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. The word despise means take for granted or overlook. And we want God to really work in our lives, but we don't want the brokenness stuff and anything like that. And so we continue on in our own strength and in our own power, and we face frustration and defeat. And in our battles we get whipped, and we wonder where is God and what's happening. And we're going to look at Psalm 24 again tonight. And uh, we'll start in verse 1 so we get the whole uh, feeling and the whole flow of it. But we'll focus in on about verses 3 through 6 tonight. Because we want to talk about what it is that we really crave as the people of God. Let me tell you what it is. It's the blessing of God. Now our problem is we don't really know what a blessing is. If you listen to some people, a blessing is a, a miracle. And I suppose it always is. But you know what I mean by that, a healing or something like that that happens. For other people, a blessing is a check in the mail or something like that. Other people have blessings like they get a new house and they go, oh, what a blessing. And it is. And uh, we get a new car, oh, what a great blessing. We get a raise at work, oh, what a great blessing. Those are certainly the blessings of God but we're missing something and i think in psalm 24 we find what the the biblical view of what the real blessing is let's call it the ultimate blessing and that is the presence of God and you see this lost world is alienated from God they're spiritually dead they're disconnected from him they don't understand him they can't understand his word. And they're just walking around like zombies. And uh, there's nothing that they can really do. And yet inside of their heart, there are certain things that they instinctively know ought to be right and how the world ought to be. And they hate wars and they hate crime and all of that unless they're involved in it. And, uh, and people say, why, why can't it be different? And if God exists... And if he is a God of love, why is there so much evil in the world? You know what they're really saying? Why can't things be like heaven? And it can't happen on this cursed earth with cursed people. And that's one of the things we have to understand. Sinners are condemned. John 3, 17, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are condemned, not later, but already. That condemnation, the wrath of God abides upon them, and yet they know... It's frustrating. It's disillusioning. It's depressing. It's disappointing. And they can't do anything about it. But it's different for you and for me. So if we're not careful, we'll follow after them and we'll think, what would really make me happy is a new car of a certain brand and a certain type with certain features. And it does feel good when you first get it. You get into it and That new car smell and all of the bells and whistles. But it doesn't take long for things to go wrong. It doesn't take long for uh, things to go kind of out of style. And you see another car like yours drive by and it has features yours doesn't have. And then the old disappointment comes back again. We get geared up for the holidays. Oh, this will be the one. Thanksgiving will be wonderful. The family will be all together. And then there's some kind of a fight. Or some kind of a disruption or a problem that comes up. And so we say, well, Christmas will fix it. We'll have a whole season of. Of celebration and lights and presents and gift giving and then we get frustrated during our Christmas shopping. The budget doesn't work out the way that we thought it was going to. Or when we give the presents that we thought was going to really make a difference, it doesn't fit or it's the wrong style or the wrong color or something like that. And we find ourselves at the end standing in the line to return gifts and we see somebody there with a gift that we gave them. They're returning it as well. It just never pans out because what we're really craving is not stuff not things not an experience we are craving the blessing of god now i want you to think about it adam and eve lived in the blessing of god and i think that the psalmist and the bible defines the true blessing of god as the presence and the power of god now lost people don't have that But you and I do. The moment we are born again, the Holy Spirit is given to us and God comes to live within us. He goes everywhere we go and He participates in everything that we do, the good as well as the bad, sadly. And He is the one that draws us back. He is the one that, uh, you know, the enemy will say after you sin, uh, stay away, you have no right to go before God. The Holy Spirit always says, come boldly before the throne, and He draws us back to the Lord, back to the conviction of our sin and the Word of God and, and to get right with Him. We always have God with us everywhere we go and in everything that we do. And what we fail to realize is our delight that we really want that something that the world can't get, we have it, and that is the presence of God. That's why we praise Him, we rejoice in Him, that's why we want to know Him, that's why we talk to Him, that's why we study His Word, that's why we fellowship together, because it, it is, like we sang earlier, it's Christ and Christ alone, and we forget that. Now, Adam and Eve had that. They had it in a way we have never experienced it. We will in heaven but we haven't here on earth. And we know a little bit, we've had a foretaste of glory divine, but not as often as we ought to and not as much as we ought to have because we're still in a cursed world and we still commit sin. And uh, Adam and Eve had that perfectly. Everything was perfect. Everything about their bodies, everything about the way life functioned, everything about their relationships, and they had pure satisfaction. And what did they do every day? The Bible tells us in the cool of the day. They walked with God. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? It was never boring. It was never stale. It was never just a you know a repetitive, I've heard that story before, I already know that. It was exciting, thrilling. It was joyful, and they looked forward to that every day. And in the meantime, they got along well with each other. No bites, no squabbles, no misunderstandings, nothing like that at all. No sickness, no weariness. Everything that they did when they worked and tended the garden, it all worked perfectly. The environment uh, cooperated with them perfectly. I mean, our environment around us, it always seems to try, and especially if you live in Oklahoma, the weather is constantly trying to kill you. Have you noticed that? And, uh, you know, that's why I'm so thankful for, I was talking to Rusty just a little while ago, as this cold weather comes in, I'm so thankful for people that are willing to go out and uh, climb a utility pole and reconnect wires so that I can have lights and heat and electricity and that type of thing. I'm so grateful that even when the weather is eight degrees out, uh, I can call 911 and an ambulance or a fire truck will show up at my house. Aren't you thankful for people who do those kind of things so you don't have to? And the comfort in our life, we forget to Thank God for all of that. But work has always been a part of humanity, and even in the garden. But in the garden, it was never too cold. It was never too hot. It was never too dry. Weeds didn't grow. None of that kind of stuff happened. It was the curse of sin where God said to Adam, By the sweat of your brow, you're going to uh, get your bread. And then Eve is going to bear children, but it's going to be a painful thing to bear children. And uh, I wonder how that affected their relationship. Can you imagine when they were first thrown out of the garden what that first discussion was like when Eve said, I'm hungry. And Adam said, well, I didn't find anything out there today. And by the way, if you had not eaten that thing, this wouldn't be happening. This is your fault. And can you imagine Eve popping back with, oh, yeah, big spiritual leader. Why didn't you stop us? And why didn't you intervene? And can you imagine it going back and forth? Life became difficult because they lost the blessing of God. They were no longer living in the garden, walking with God in the presence of God. And one of the things that uh, is uh, really amazing is when you think about what God said as we looked at uh, Sunday morning in our Sunday school lesson about the uh, promise that was given to Abraham and uh, you think about uh, what God said he said that there is going to be a blessing that is coming to you and there's going to be a blessing that is going to touch all of the earth well this is something that eluded uh, Israel for a long time uh, when we think about what all was going on in the history of Israel we think about the book of first Samuel under the reign of Saul And Israel goes out to fight the Philistines, and uh, they're getting whipped. So what does Saul do? He said, go get the Ark of the Covenant. Bring it out. That'll bring us good luck. It doesn't actually say that, but that's what he meant. Well, then the uh, Philistines defeat Israel, and the Ark is captured. How good did that feel? And Eli the priest and both of his sons, they die. And uh, before I get to the Abraham thing, uh, think of 1 Samuel chapter 4. Verses 19 through 22. And uh, it's talking about Eli's daughter-in-law. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth For her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death. I mean she's not going to survive. The women who stood by her said to her. Do not fear for you have borne a son. But she did not answer. Nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod. Ichabod. Saying, What? The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father in law and her husband and their death. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel. Okay, that's what that name means Ichabod. That's why we don't name our little boys Ichabod. Okay, that's not a pleasant name. What was she saying there? There's nothing but darkness despair, doom, depression, gloom, there's no happiness, there's no future, the ark is gone, and in their minds, that meant God was no longer with them. And uh, with all of the people that she loved dying, that there was no reason for her to want to live. What, what is the purpose? What's going on? And it sounds a lot like the world that we have now. Everything that brings promise, everything that brings hope, it seems to fall apart Uh, We have an election coming up this year. Who knows how that will go? But, you know, sometimes with elections, the person that you really supported doesn't get elected. Oh, our nation's over. How many times have we heard that? And then other times, even when you get the person that you want in there... By the time they're two years into their term, you go, what are they thinking and why aren't they doing what they were supposed to do? There's just no peace or promise in anything like that. And so when this lady is giving birth and she looks at the world, she doesn't see hope and a future. You know, uh, we usually think about little babies as, oh, the promise and the blessing of God. She didn't see any of that because... The glory was gone. So, when we think about the blessing of God, we need to think about the glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the blessing of God upon our lives. Because we can make it through the valley of the shadow of death if the Lord is with us, David said. And the presence of God is what gives us the strength. To carry on, it's the presence of God that puts everything together and gives us the sanity that we need to think ahead and to persevere and to do everything that is right, even for upcoming generations. So, Israel just kind of fumbled the ball, and there they were in the promised land, but they sure weren't living the victorious life that they thought they were going to live. And it sure didn't seem to be a land of milk and honey at this point. But at the same time, that was because of their sin. Later, it would get worse and they would have a civil war and the kingdom would be divided. And then later, the Assyrians would come after the northern kingdom and the Babylonians after the southern kingdom and they would all be in exile. Doesn't sound like milk and honey and blessing when you go out as it says in Deuteronomy and blessing when you come in blessings in the field and all of that kind of stuff that was happening where was it well it was gone because they were not living in the presence of God God withdrew from them read the minor minor prophet sometime if you uh, really want to be depressed I mean it's just sad reading those books and reading what Israel and Judah did but There was always in the back of the mind of the Jew Abraham's blessing, the promise of God to Abraham. And uh, I want to read to you out of Genesis chapter 12. And uh, think about this. God said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And Look at this. I will bless you. You know what God is saying there? I'll give you power and I'll give you my presence. And I will never leave you and I will protect you. And we find that um, Abram, even later on, when he failed, there was a famine in the land and he hightails it to Egypt, which he shouldn't have done, I don't think. And when he gets there, he starts thinking... About what's going to happen, Sarah, you're so beautiful." And I'm sure she probably blushed and said, "Oh, Abe, you go, do go on." And then he said, "Yeah, they're going to try to kill me to get you, so that it may be well, so that it may be well with me. Tell them you're my sister instead of my wife." And he actually lets his wife go to be in Pharaoh's harem. Remember that story? Yeah. He wasn't a very faithful man of God at that point. And yet, what did God do? He intervened and got Sarah out of there and got them back together. Man, that, that must have been a long ride home back to the promised land. Don't you imagine? Hey, Sarah, you know, of course, I knew all the time this was going to work out. Can you imagine her looking and go, yeah, I'm sure you did. And uh, But must have worked out okay because they did have a child together. But... Um, That was all of that. God said, I will bless you. And that blessing was a permanent blessing. I'll give you my promise even when you mess up. Have you ever read in the New Testament for believers like us? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Think about how good that is, the blessing of God. And that's why we're told in that same passage out of hebrews were to be content why because he never leaves us or forsakes us this is what we want this is what we crave this is what the answer is got a troubled marriage what's the answer learning to live in the presence of the power of god if you've got problems with neighbors and persecution like the early church did where when they met they met in peril of their lives when they were baptized that was a death sentence for a lot of them how did they carry on how did they do it the blessing of god they understood the blessing of god is not getting a new car it's having god with me through these dark times david even understood that as i said earlier Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Okay? And so that's what we have to get into our head. So the blessing that Abraham was going to get was not just stuff, not just cattle, not just goats, not just sheep, not just silver, not just gold. It was going to be the very presence and the blessing of God himself. This is something that the world does not have. They cannot get it. They cannot achieve it apart from, of course, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Lord says to Abram, I will bless those who bless you. Notice how that word keeps coming up. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, and that's a reference to the coming of the Messiah, who is the Savior of the world, blessing that comes through the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus, blessing, 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 and it always is tied to the presence of God, especially the coming of the Messiah, Jesus shows up, there he is, and the angels tell the shepherds, I bring you great tidings, uh, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What a blessing. And it's all tied to the presence of God. So I want you to think about the fact that you are never out of the presence of God. And when you die, when that race we sang about is over, and you stand before the Lord, just think how clear it's going to be. Now we see, Paul says, dimly and darkly, kind of like cataracts or something like that. If you uh, have had any experience with those, everything's kind of in a haze. Everything's in a fog. But one of these days, it is going to be so clear and you're going to find out just how blessed you really are. So let's go to our passage in Psalm 24. And uh, let's just read verses 1 through 6, but we'll really focus in on uh, 3. And we're going to talk about uh, restoration of the blessing. How do we regain what Adam lost? How do we regain what Israel just kind of fumbled away? Because we don't want to do that. So, he says in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. No one else could do that, right? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Really, 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 really good question. Who's going to do that? And then he answers it. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. "...who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully." Well, that puts all of us in trouble because none of us are everything we should be. And verse 5 says, "...he shall receive..." There's our word. What does it say? Blessing. "...blessing." "...he shall receive blessing from the Lord." Just like what Abraham was promised, just like what Adam and Eve had. "...he who is like that shall receive blessing from the Lord." And righteousness, now where is it going to come from? From the God of his salvation. Then he says something that to me was really strange. This is Jacob. Well, How did he get in here? The generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. And then he tells us, Selah, stop and think about that. Well, I had to do some stopping and some thinking. Because I don't know how Jacob snuck into all of that. And I was looking at that and going, what, what is the point of having Jacob in there? I think I found it. I think I found it. It took a little while and took some thought and uh, some meditation on that. But I think I've got it. Okay? So let's look and let's just cover some points tonight. First of all, the blessing, we've already said this, is the presence of God. Okay? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? where God dwells, the Holy of Holies, that type of thing. Or who may stand in his holy place? Well, back then, only the high priest could do that, and only on one day a year. So what's the point in all of this type of thing? Well, it's a great question. And coming into the presence of God, think about it, it's frightening. The high priest would go in there, and they would tie a rope around his waist, so that um, and they and had bells around the fringe of his garment, so that if he went in there and he died and he collapsed, you would hear the bells, and the people outside could pull him out because they didn't dare go in to get him. It was a frightening thing. Think about Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says there, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the angels are flying around and they're saying holy 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 is the lord of hosts and what does Isaiah do God can I sit in your lap that's what you hear people say God can I have a hug is that what he says he says woe is me For I'm an unclean man and with unclean lips and I come from a generation that is unclean and I've seen the Lord. Woe is me. I'm in trouble. And the angel takes a coal off of the altar and in tongs and brings it and puts it on his lips and he says, you're clean now. And that's when you have that famous passage where the Lord says, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And Isaiah says, what? Here am I. Send me. Yeah, isn't that great? But he was terrified. I want you to think about what happened when the shepherds saw the angels in the announcement of the presence of God in a manger in Bethlehem, God in human flesh. And the Bible says, going back to King James, and they were sore afraid. Terrified. Even the apostle John The beloved disciple, you get to the book of Revelation and he is in the spirit on the Lord's day. That should fix everything, right? And then the Lord comes up and speaks to him and he fell over like a dead man. Why? Because when you bring sinners into the presence of God, it is terrifying. That's why the world runs from anything that has to do with God. That's why no one seeks after God. They're terrified if you could know the truth about it. And so when we look at this and we think about the presence of God, well then, how could that be a blessing if it's something that is so incredibly scary to us? And you've got to think that these Israelis, if we're right about saying that they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines and they're taking it into Jerusalem to its rightful place, you even remember that on the way up there, they had it on a cart and a guy named Uzzah He tried to steady the ark and he touched it. He's dead. And it made David mad. Why? Messing with God is a serious business. And to think to come into God's presence just as you are is terrifying. Everything we find in the Bible, it's terrifying. It's frightening when we look at all of that. And yet, the Bible indicates here... That the blessing of God is the presence of God. But because of sin, we've got a problem coming into the presence of God. It doesn't feel like a blessing. It doesn't look like a blessing. It's terrifying. Well, let's not stop there because that's depressing, right? Point number two is the blessing of God's presence is not compatible with sin. And I know right now you're going, tell us something we don't know. You've already kind of depressed us tonight. Well, that's just the way it is. The blessing of God is not compatible with sin. Because who may come into the presence of God? And he answers. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Well, that's good, except for one thing. I've already blown that. By the time I read this and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to aspire to that, I've already messed it up. What's going to happen before? I'm already contaminated. I'm already unqualified by all of that. That's our problem, isn't it? Man, I've got problems already. And then when we understand what he's saying here, clean hands, the word clean there in Hebrew can also be translated as innocent, innocent hands. Uh, I'm in trouble. When it says a pure heart, it means that there are no unworthy motives. You know, sometimes we do the right thing, but with the wrong motive. You ever done that? Don't look spiritual. You know you have. Right? We all have. And that's why God looks on the heart, and that's where our problem is. It's not just our performance. It's not just what we say or what we sing or what we do. God looks beyond all of that, and he sees even the motive that we have. And we find in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where Jesus gives us the Beatitudes and talks about the laws of the kingdom and how we enter the kingdom. He makes this statement, Blessed, there's our word, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know what he's saying? Without a pure heart, you don't see God. That's the only way to be blessed. That's the only way to enter the kingdom. That's the only way to be in His presence. And that's what David is saying in the Psalms. So we've got a big, big, big problem here. And that's why we go to point number three. The blessing of God's presence accompanies righteousness. Okay? Now we've already established the fact that God loves purity and holiness. And that the people who are going to stand in the presence of God have clean hands, a pure heart. And Jesus even said, blessed are the pure of heart, pure in heart, for they, and and it doesn't do any violence in the original language to say, and they alone shall see God. No one else is going to see God except someone with a pure heart. Now, when I read that, I go, man, I'm in real trouble. Because I don't know a lot about my heart. Because Jeremiah says my heart is deceitful. That means it's tricky. And it's wicked. That means it has bad motives. And then he says this. And who can know it? So whenever you hear somebody say, well, I know my heart. No, you don't. Your heart will trick you like crazy. And your heart will make you think you're a whole lot better than you really are. And then sometimes if you're trying to serve the Lord, the, your heart will try to make you look a whole lot worse Than you really are. God doesn't love you, and Jesus' blood didn't save you, and you can't possibly be a Christian and think and act like that. I mean, we've all had that type of stuff. In the book of 1 John, it talks about, you know, we want to live so our heart doesn't condemn us. And we got a problem with all of this. So, where do I get clean hands? Where do I get a pure heart? Where do I get to the place to where? everything is the way it's supposed to be. And that's why I love verse 5. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness, where? From the God of His salvation. Now, I might look at that and say, well, if I had clean hands and a pure heart, I could just march into the presence of God. But you and I know our Bible well enough to know there's nobody like that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. In fact, um, it says even in the Old Testament, God talks about uh, what he's going to do one day with Israel, and it's kind of a picture of what he does with us. I'm going to take your heart of stone, your dead, cold, rock-hard heart, and I'm going to put in it a heart of flesh. And by that, he doesn't mean flesh like old nature flesh. He uh, means in there a heart that's living, a heart that's beating, a heart that's tender. In other words, he says there's a promise in there, even in the Old Testament, of getting a new heart, a different heart than the one that leads us astray, a different heart than the one that turns against God, a different heart, a pure heart. And that's where we get it. And where does it come from? Righteousness and salvation, That comes from God. See, even the people he's referencing before need a Savior. And they need righteousness that comes from God. So we may look at these people and go, Well, if anybody deserves to go to heaven, it's brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. And yet, what does the Bible say? Boy, they're really righteous. What does the Bible say about our righteousness? It is as... You got it. Filthy rags. So even the best... That are listed here. And even the ones that humans would say. Ah they've got it. Gold star for them. No they need a savior as well. Even Mary. You know the Roman Catholics say. That Mary was conceived purely like Jesus was. An immaculate conception they call it. And that later she was ascended into heaven like Jesus was. Because you know you got to have the mother. The mother's got to have that if she's going to have a baby. Uh, that's going to be like that and so they ascribe a lot of things that are really only ascribed to jesus and yet mary was the one who said my soul doth magnify the lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in god my savior well perfect people don't need a savior you know who needed a savior sinners sinners like us That's where our hope is. And so what happens? Jesus dies on the cross. He takes our sin and abolishes it and takes the wrath of God and drains the cup for us in our place. And then when we trust Him, He actually gives us His righteousness, His gold stars, His his points. And everything that He did that pleased the Father is put on our account. And so that's what David is saying here some thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, he says the righteousness comes from God. It can't be achieved, it's not by religion, it's not by works. It is given to us. And David didn't understand all of this, but we do through the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because God alone is righteous, then only He can give the righteousness. That is acceptable to him for us to come into his presence. So that's great news for us. How do I get clean hands, pure heart and all of that? By trusting Christ. And he takes my sin, puts it on the cross, takes his righteousness and puts it on me and in the books that are uh, recorded of me. And so when I die, I have absolutely nothing to fear because I'm just as welcome in heaven As the Lord Jesus Christ is welcome. So how do I get to stand before God? Because of what Christ has done. Not because of what I have done. So that's the good news. Because he did that. And then number four. Look at this. The blessing of God's presence changes everything. This is Jacob. The generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face. Think about that, Selah. Well, like I said before, when I first read that, I go, I don't know how to Selah that because I don't know what it means. I don't get it. God expects His people to embrace their privileges, their blessing, from their hearts and to show it in their behavior. Okay. Then I got to thinking about Jacob. Why Jacob? Why Jacob? Why, why Jacob? Why Jacob? Then I remembered. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis 32 and look down at verse 22. Jacob is a guy that met God, the presence of God, and it changed him forever. Remember what Jacob means, the name means? It means a trickster, a deceiver. Uh, I saw one definition, a supplanter. I'm not really sure. I don't use that word very often. But it cannot be good. It means taking the place, the rightful place of someone else. Well, this is the guy that uh, when Esau has been out hunting, he was the hunter, the man's man, the favorite of his father Isaac. And when he comes back in, Jacob, you know, he liked to cook and he liked to be in the kitchen with his mom, Rebecca. And so uh, when Esau is coming back from hunting, and he didn't get anything. And he's starving. And what's Jacob stirring? A great big pot of chili, let's call it. Esau smells it and goes, oh, give me some of that. And Jacob, always scheming, always thinking, always planning, he goes, oh, I'd be happy to let you have some of this fine stuff here. Got a big bowl of it here, and about, but give me your birthright. Jacob didn't deserve the birthright, but he was the supplanter. He took Esau's place and took his birthright from him. Now, don't feel sorry for Esau because Esau was so sorry. He sold the whole birthright, which had to do with the Abrahamic covenant, for a bowl of chili. That tells you something about him. He was materialistic. He lived for the moment. He didn't care about all that spiritual stuff. At least Jacob did, and we'll give him credit for that. But the way he got it stunk, didn't it? You remember the time when uh, Isaac is about to die? His eyes had grown dim. And Rebekah, she wasn't much better than Jacob. She tells Jacob, go in there now. Your, your brother has gone out on a hunting trip to get, get wild game for Isaac. I'll cook some goat up. Sounds appetizing, doesn't it? And uh, you take it into your father. And they deceived Isaac. And Jacob got the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. Just a nice guy, isn't he? A guy you'd want to do business with and make a deal with. Boy, if you were ever dealing with Jacob, you wouldn't want to do it on a handshake. You would want everything written down. And make sure he read the fine print and signs his John Hancock on there. That's the kind of guy he was. This is a guy that uh, every time you turn around, uh, later on he goes to his uh, relative Laban and he marries Leah because he got tricked, kind of served him right. And then he works seven more years and gets Rachel. And then they leave and they're going back to the land where they were raised. And then word comes to Jacob, your brother Esau is waiting for you. When you read in there, have you ever noticed how when we get up to this point we're going to read about, Jacob sends everybody else ahead. Now he's alone. Oh, poor guy. He's all by himself. Now don't feel sorry for him. It's almost like he's sending all of his family out as a human shield. Isn't that right? I mean, he's a skunk. And then something happens. He's already sitting on... His nerves are on edge... He's terrified of what Esau is going to do when he sees him. Camping there by the river, Jabbok. He's got the fire going. Every little sound. Can you imagine? And then all of a sudden, somebody pounces on him. He wasn't ready for it. And he's in the wrestling match of his life. Let's read about it. Genesis thirty-two twenty-two. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his seven sons, and crossed over the ford of the Jabbok, the river, and he took them and he sent them over the brook. Can you imagine? And sent over what he had. And he goes back. And Jacob was left alone on the other side of the river. Hoping that Esau might be nice to them. Or if he kills somebody he kills them and not him. Jacob is left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Verse 25. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint and he wrestled with him and then he said let me go for the day breaks but he Jacob said i will not let you go unless you there's our word bless me so he said to him what is your name and he said jacob i'm the deceiver I'm the trickster. I'm the guy you can't trust. That's what that name means. Verse 28. And then he, this person he's wrestling with, said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with... Who? God. He was in the presence of God. He's fighting with God. He said, well, why didn't God just whip him? He could have. But he was teaching him something. Now his hips out of joint. Will be for the rest of his life. And he finds out now in horror. I have been wrestling with God. I think it was the Lord Jesus Christ. In a pre-incarnate appearance. I call it a Christophany. Or a theophany. And he said. And you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked saying. Tell me your name I pray. And he said to him, why is it that you ask about my name? And then he, God, blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place. We have a street up in Bethany named uh, after this. We call it Peniel. It's actually uh, two Hebrew words, pani, meaning face, and el for um, Elohim, God, face of God. See what he did? Jacob says, This place is now and forever going to be called the face of God. I looked God in the face. For I have seen the face of God, he says, and my life is preserved. He said, well, wasn't that cruel that he has to limp the rest of his life? Better than dead. He could have been dead. Could have been the end of everything. But the presence and the power of God did something in Jacob's life. Verse 31, just as he crossed the river, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel, see that Israel, that's Jacob, do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket because uh, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank okay i want you to picture something jacob is going back home he's terrified of esau so he tells his wife, you guys go first you guys go first i was at uh, first baptist tuttle and uh, the alarm goes off and we were close to the church so i went over there and The guy that did my music was a black belt in karate, so I called him and he came over there too. And then uh, one of Tuttle's finest came and uh, he took out my keys and I unlocked the door and opened it up and I walked in. And uh, the cop comes in behind me and then my minister of music and I'm thinking, of all people to lead in, you go first, you've got the gun. And then I told Scott, and you know, you're a black belt, you go first, I'll follow you guys. If, if Something was out of order, you know, and I didn't catch it till I was there. Well, this is the way it is with Jacob, it's out of order, you guys go ahead, make sure everything's okay. You guys go and be ready to die just in case, I don't want to be hurt, you guys go ahead. And so uh, when Jacob is sitting there and all of a sudden somebody pounces on him, he doesn't know who it is. And he goes all the way through, and it's a long, long wrestling match. Maybe Jacob's a little tougher than we thought. And uh, then this person that he's at touches him on his hip, and the hip's out of joint. Can you imagine what that was like? And then all of this, the name change and everything that happened, the blessing that comes. And then Jacob in terror realizes, I've been in the presence of God, and I didn't die. You know what I think happened at that point? He went... So why is Esau a big deal? If I can wrestle with God and I can be in the, see in the face of God and not die, Esau's a piece of cake. And can you imagine? Here he goes, his clothes are torn, his face is smudged, he's limping. The sun is coming up, he's going across the river and all of his family looks over there and they go, what in the world, who is that? And somebody else looks and goes, doesn't look like any victorious Christian I've ever seen. But it was because he had been changed by the presence of God. And the presence of God gave Jacob a great blessing, changed his name to Israel. So now we know the Jews as the children, or descendants, not of Jacob the deceiver, but of Israel, the one who is a prince of God, the one who's has prevailed when he uh, was wrestling with God. This is a hero now. And Jacob's life is now forever changed. And why is it changed? Because of the presence of God and because of the blessing of God. Want a couple of New Testament verses before we go? 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Think about what that means hope, glory, blessing, the presence of God, all of that is ours because God, the Blessed One, pours his blessing out upon those of us who are so needy. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Somebody say amen to that. And then he names them. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We ascend to that holy hill, as David said. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and all prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth he's talking about us in him and in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. And in Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession To the praise of His glory. You are more blessed than you know. And everything you want, it's not the paycheck, it's not the car, it's not the house, it's not the experience. Your soul and heart craves the presence of God. And that's the blessing. You have it now and you're going to have it more fully when you get to heaven Because our God, the Blessed One, is the one who has blessed us with the ultimate blessing. And we qualify, as David said, because He, by His blood, has given us clean hands and given us a pure heart. And we have not bowed to idols because we are the purchased possession of God and we have confessed together that Jesus is Lord and that affects everything we do and even our relationships. And so, what is it that makes a difference? We sang about it all because of Jesus Christ. Man, we are blessed. Blessed beyond measure. So let's pray about it, okay? Heavenly Father, forgive us when we think this world can bless us. Forgive us when we think other people have something that is going to really fulfill our lives or maybe even they will fulfill our lives. Forgive us when we think that the blessing is all about bank accounts and checks. It's all about possessions and houses and lands and all of that. Lord, those are fine. And we thank you for everything that you've given us. But they never bring happiness. They never bring fulfillment. They can't make us right with God. They can't guarantee our salvation. What we're really looking for is your blessing like Abraham did and like Adam and Eve knew before they sinned. And Father, we thank you that the Apostle Paul says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. It's you. It's not stuff. It's you. It's not all of your gifts. It's you. And forgive us when we sell everything short by looking to things around us, people around us, circumstances around us, instead of looking to you. So change us like you did Jacob. So that we don't seek after all of the things that don't matter and that can't satisfy. But we are changed to seek after you. And when our sin problem prevents all of that, you solved it by sending your son to die on the cross and to forgive us and pay the debt of our sin. You've done it all. And why you would want to do that for us, I don't know. But you did. And I very humbly and we very humbly say thank you.